Welcome to Season 5 of the Shock Your Potential Podcast with your host, best-selling author and international speaker, Michael Sherlock. The Shock Your Potential Podcast is dedicated to entrepreneurs looking to up their game, increase their income, and scale their businesses to new heights. Shock Your Potential is a professional services company providing affordable services to small businesses, matching entrepreneurs with virtual assistants, and offering specialized leadership and sales training to companies around the world. Learn more today at shockyourpotential.com and listen in now to another motivating episode that will help you to shock your potential. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. I am your host, Michael Sherlock, and all month long, we're talking about one of my favorite topics, money. Yeah. And we're going to talk about why money matters, which we all know it does, but there's different ways to look at money and about the value of some things regarding money. And that's what my guest is going to talk to us about today. I cannot wait to learn more, not only about what he does, but how we got into this and what we might be able to take from it ourselves. So Brad Kenodia has valued over 4,000 companies and assets worth, get this, $2.6 trillion. Yep, that's a lot of money. Now, he's appraised some really unique assets, including the Golden Gate Bridge, the Atlanta Airport, Uber, Airbnb, Yahoo, the Brooklyn Bridge, the Mirage Casino Las Vegas, and many others. And he told me even within my little uh, city of Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Gasworks and UPenn. So that's amazing. Now, he's the founder of a company called Veristrat, and that is a company that advises startup founders and venture capitalists on valuations. He lives in the San Francisco Bay Area with his family, and what I hear from him is he enjoys some things that are pretty darn fun, sailing, golfing, skiing, and one of my favorites, horseback riding. So joining me from San Francisco today is my guest, Brad. Thank you so much for being with us today. Michael, great to have, great to be on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. How in the heck did you get involved in valuations? You know, they say the best things in life happen to you when you least expect them. When I got my first job out of college, I did not expect to be assigned on projects like that. I was just happy I didn't go to jail and or have a job. So, um, you know, I was just grateful, I guess, right person at the right time. Yeah, it's a very unique um, profession. And I have worked not in that role at all, but in one of my previous lives in corporate America, um, the last two companies I worked for, we were purchasing a lot of smaller family-owned businesses and bringing them into the fold of a larger corporation. I had nothing to do with the valuation side of it, but it was very intriguing to me to see, especially in kind of a medical uh, office environment, what made one office more valuable than the other? Um, because a lot of the only assets besides the assets in, in the you know physical space were the client files. And, you know, those are, you know, there's some value to them, but they're, they're, they can be squishy too. <laughs> so there's a lot of moving pieces. So how, how have you evolved in this? Tell us a little bit about your company, you know, what you do on a day-to-day basis, maybe even some of, you know, how you got some of these really unique opportunities to value some assets like the Golden Gate Bridge, because I can't even imagine how that happened. All large assets like that, uh, like the Golden Gate Bridge or Atlanta Airport or 
Empire State Building, all these assets are insured right. somewhere by somebody. Um, and after 9-11 happened, imagine the person who is underwriting all these large infrastructure assets like the Brooklyn Bridge, the Golden Gate Bridge. Oh, yeah. Um, that guy is sitting in a back room somewhere shitting his pants. <laughs> going, oh, my God, will I have to write a check for these at some point in my career? Oh, boy. And uh, while he is getting nervous, or could be she, getting nervous, they said, hey, we better be collecting enough premiums on all these assets that we are underwriting. Well, to justify more premiums, you have to tell the clients that what your assets are worth and that your assets are worth more than what you and I think they're worth. And now they're more risky than 9-11 happened. Right. So my company at that time, American Appraisal, got a contract from Lloyd's of London and their brokers that, hey, there's a list of 200 assets around the world that we are underwriting. I want you to go insure them, uh, appraise them. Mm -hmm. um, and my boss at that time liked me. So he took 15 of the 200 assets and the most difficult or involved assets, he just cut them out and he said, this is your chunk. You figure these out. <laughs> and the rest, we have a team running around the company, uh, country. Uh, so I said, okay. Um, and I had never appraised assets like these before. So for me, it was a learning experience. And I had to train uh, two of the other guys who were on the project with me while I was training myself. Mm -hmm. So that was uh, quite the unique opportunity. Um, it was fun. I was on that project for a year and a half or so. Uh, so, you know, that um, that pulled me through through the depression that followed right after 9-11. So the world yeah. apart around us was falling apart. And at that time for my company, it was raining money. Mm -hmm. And it probably gave you a whole new perspective on like you said, I mean, it changed the whole game. I mean, we didn't, we probably somewhere in the back of our heads thought about those things as potentials, but not really in the same vein as after you see the Twin Towers go down. Correct. And, you know, you can see weird things. Like I had done one valuation for a company called Global Crossing, if you recall, 20 years ago, they were a big name. Mm -mm. And what they were, they were just a fiber telecom provider. What they were doing is they were laying cable, fiber optic cable around the world to allow people to communicate. And when I went to their headquarters, you know, they had this huge fancy map that they would show off. You know, that map is showing that they have cables going from this spot, you know, in Florida to Africa, from mm -hmm. Africa to London, and, you know, all these big spots in the world that covered. And I go to the guy and I'm like, wait, you have cables transferring data and information? I thought this was all done through satellites. He said, yeah. no, it's all done by fiber optic cable just laid under the ocean. I'm like, are you kidding me? He's like, no, nobody knows this, but this is a fact. And that's when they got into trouble because they leveraged too much debt and they laid out too much cable and you know, and then somebody bought him out. And this is exactly how things happen, right? So, yeah. you know, when, when they say in the hotel industry that the first owner does not make money, it's a second or the third owner after two or three bankruptcies, they yeah. make money. So, um, you know, Global Crossing was one of those interesting projects. And I've done many interesting projects, like UPenn, Brown in your neighborhood, was an interesting project. 
Um, Philadelphia Gas Works, that was most interesting. I mean, they're they're just a gas utility, right? I mean, right. they have these huge storage plants by the river. You can't even imagine how big they are. I mean, if I recall, one of the storage facilities has a tank that is, I think, three acres wide mm-hmm. and as tall as a 10-story building. Mm-hmm. So imagine a gas tank that is about three acre in footprint and high as 10 floors. That's yeah. one tank and they have multiple of those. Um, and, you know, you you drive by it all the time, probably from the freeway and you even blink an eye and you're like, oh, my God, that is a gas tank. Um, you know, so I, I've been privy to some of these very unique assets and I'm very uh, grateful. I mean, in addition to some of these unique tangible assets, I have done some um intangible assets uh, or large companies like Uber, Airbnb, or WeWork, or um, one of the interesting intangible asset I did was um, uh, the I Love New York campaign. You know, you go to New York, you see this I Love New York t-shirts everywhere, right? I have appraised that campaign. Now, most people think that, you know, that campaign is not owned by anybody. It's just sort of colloquial. It just sort of came out of thin air, but no, that wasn't the case. Um, and the second thing people think that I that that I love New York campaign is owned by the city of New York. It's not. It's owned by the state of New York. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had appraised that campaign for the state. Um, why? That was a different reason. That was done for accounting purposes. The state had been investing money in that campaign over the years, and they wanted to put the valuation of the campaign on their books. So they needed a schmuck like me to come in and tell them that, hey, what is that campaign worth that they put so much money in Um, and people use it all day long? So that was a different exercise. So um, I get called in for unique things, you know, when people and when other appraisers are scared to touch something with a 10 foot pole or they don't know how to do it. I'm the guy they call usually. Wow. That's pretty good. Like you've got it. You're, it's almost like a bat signal. <laughs> we need Barat. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've done some weird things and, you know, most people would, you know, look the other way or sort of avoid doing them. I, on the other hand, I'm like, yeah, if somebody, nobody can do it, I'll probably figure out a way to do it. Yeah. I think we work would have been an interesting one because it's, it's obviously, you know, the, the valuation of it at one point in time is quite different than you know, what happened through the process, you know, as lots of competitors came into the market and there was no, you know, no way you to know, hold on to that. happened at that time, my client of record was wanting that high valuation. And I made a comment that isn't we work just a fancy way of selling office spaces like Regis. Mm-hmm. And my client wasn't too pleased by that. <laughs> you know, three months later, that valuation went from 47 to 12 billion. And uh, oh, yeah. I was in the room with my client again and I kept my mouth shut. I was like, hey, I got nothing to say. I'm lying. I know I'm right. Um, I'm not going to say I told you so. <laughs> yeah, I don't have to. She knows she lost money on it. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I have a, a good friend of mine who, so I spent, um, when I was telling you before with my last couple of positions, I spent quite a bit of my career in the hearing aid industry. And so I managed, you know, hearing aid stores and people and all these things, but we would buy 
we would buy people's individual hearing aid practices and then pull them into the corporate environment. And one of my friends, she, um, you know, as we were talking after she sold her practice and she said, you know, when I opened my practice, I knew that I wanted to sell it at one day. So everything that I did with that practice, I tried to do in a way to make it more valuable. And it was really, um, a great conversation because I'd never really thought of that. And I think that there's a lot of business owners that just think you start a business to, you know, to have your business and work in your business and maybe pass that business on. But I don't think, I don't think, I don't know what a lot means, but I don't think a lot of people think, oh, if I start from beginning, would I do things differently if I knew I wanted to sell it at some point in time? Do you ever get people that ask you, you know, hey, what should I consider if I may want to sell down the line five or six or 10 years, but I'm not ready to right now? Yes, absolutely. And there really are only two things that you ought to be thinking about if you want to sell your business two, four, five, 10 years down the line. You got to focus on two things. That's it. And, you know, somebody might tell you, no, there are not two things. There are five things. There are seven things. There are 12 things. You know, everybody wants their fancy magic number so that they can write a book <laughs> titled that. And I keep it very simple. And, um, and, you know, they could call it seven things or five things or 20 things. Who cares? But they're probably a derivative of these two things. These two things are like the primary colors and you can slice and dice them in so many ways. So the two things are, number one, buyers of businesses are looking to buy businesses with consistent cash flow. Mm -hmm. They want a business that gives them money like clockwork, like right. the um, old faithful. Mm -hmm. um, now, how do you get to that? Right? How do you get a business to get give you consistent cash flow? If you have a business where you have to go out and find a new customer on day-to-day -day basis, that's not a good business to be in. That yeah. is difficult to get consistent cash flow from. But if you can somehow change your business model, not your business, your business model, so that the same customer is writing you checks repeatedly on a weekly, on a monthly, on a yearly, on a quarterly basis, somehow, if you change that business model, that business becomes worth a lot of money. Right. Because the buyers of businesses, they don't want to be thinking about where their next paycheck is coming from. Right. Thinking about what they're going to do with that paycheck to grow that business. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. Yes. Second thing, buyers of businesses don't want to do anything to enjoy <laughs> that cash flow. They yes. Sit on their ass and enjoy eating bonbons. Exactly. Now, how do you get a business to perform by itself or to perform on autopilot, right? No business can perform 100% on autopilot. Even commercial airplanes, they don't perform 100% on autopilot. Even you hit the autopilot button, you still need a pilot in the seat sitting there just in case. Even they are not 100% on autopilot. <laughs> so a business cannot be 100% on autopilot, but how close to 100% can you get? 20%, 30%, 50%, 70%, you know, start out by things that are easy 
to automate, you know, reaching out to customers with happy birthdays and happy anniversaries, mm -hmm. you know, sending invoices or um, um, doing payrolls or doing performance reviews, you know, the things that are easily um, can be transferred or, or, or uh, executed using technology, start executing them using technology and then start to look at other items within your business that can be done by either using technology or something that you can delegate to other people to do. Now, mm. delegating to other people is difficult and expensive, but that is still also almost like getting a business to do things on autopilot so that you as the owner cannot do it. You as the owner can step away, somebody else can take your spot and the business is still running like clockwork. So yes. figure out what you can automate or what you can delegate in your business instead of you doing them themselves. You can't be everything, but start out with the easy things and try to make your way up. So two things, consistent cash flow and running a business on autopilot. If anybody tells you three things or four things, call bullshit. <laughs> You're like, wait, what color of yellow is that? Because I'm thinking that's more orange. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from our sponsor and we will be right back. Do you want to be a go-to expert that news reporters, anchors, and media producers turn to? Are you a media professional looking for credible, reliable, and timely guests? If you answered yes to either of those questions, then shock your media potential is for you. This one-of-a-kind platform connects vetted experts with news professionals around the globe. As a part of our launch celebration, you can participate for free in our Shock Your Media Potential virtual conference running March 28th through April 1st. Together with my co-host, Eddie Luisi, known as stage manager to the stars and also stage manager for Good Morning America, we have interviewed 25 media personalities and professionals to ask them the questions you need to know the answers to. Like, how can I make myself more newsworthy? How do I best pitch a story? How do I get invited back again and again? And much more. Some of our guests are household names with exceptional on-camera careers. Others are award-winning directors, producers, camera operators, audio engineers, celebrity hair and makeup professionals, and so much more. To learn more about our platform and our conference today, go to shockyourmediapotential.com. And we are back with Brett Kenodia and we are talking about all things valuation and, and money and how to make sure that uh, you're looking at your business from a different perspective as well. Um, tell me a little bit. So your company now is called Veristrat. Yes. What is what is that? Where'd that term come from? I actually looked it up because I was trying to see if there was a definition. I didn't find one. All I found was links to you and your company. Well, that's a good thing. That means our SEO and our work is uh, finally uh, bearing fruit. Absolutely. So it, it was a simple term, very strat. Uh, very is derived from verity or veritas. Okay. And strat is um, from the word strategy, which frankly, I cringe upon whenever somebody says strategy because it's <laughs> so commoditized. Somebody the other day told me, I'm a strategic growth consultant. What would well, you know what a strategic growth consultant does? I don't know what that does. No, well, it seems kind of like you're just saying the same thing over and over again. Because if you're a growth consultant, you have to do it with strategy. So yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, just, just use the word strategy. Throw the word strategy there and it makes you sound yes. important. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, you know, back in the day, management go into their management meeting once a year. But no, no, now they call it the strategy meeting. <laughs> exactly. Right? What does that mean? So Everything anyway, strategy to me, sure. strategy is really a military term. Mm-hmm. So you must have seen these old pictures of generals and Hitler's and his compadres sort of hovering over blueprints or prints of landscapes, you know, images of maybe, you know, President Washington hovering over with his lieutenants looking over the Valley Forge. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a strategy session where strategy session is really where you're mixing practicality of what's happening on the ground with your higher level of thinking where you want to go. The strategy is that nexus. Um, And that work is so commoditized now. Nevertheless, in my pious world, so to speak, uh, it's between verity or veritas and strategy. Very strong. Mm -hmm. I love it. When you get a call from a new client and they, and you know, it sounds like you also do kind of whatever the people will call you when there's something really unique, but when they call you and say, Hey, we, we want you to come, uh, uh, appraise our building, our, our untangible, you know, Airbnb, I don't even know how you value that, but, um, what kind of things do you first think about before you say, Hmm, I think this is a client that I want to work with. Are there ones that are more appealing to you? Ones that are, you know, easier, harder, more challenging, anything that you say, gosh, I just really don't want to even tackle that, which I'm going to assume the answer is no, but I'm just kind of curious. No, at this point, I get to pick the people I work with. I mm-hmm. I don't have to take all projects. I don't have to take any projects. So I work with clients that I want to work with. Um, and good clients are people who are open to listening. If a client comes in and tells me that, hey, this thing is worth $20 million and can you help me justify it? I'm like, no, thank you. Mm-mm. I mean, in fact, this Tuesday, somebody called me um, just ranting and just very on edge and saying, I need you to value my company and getting divorced from my wife and this. And, I want to win you. and at the end, he's like, well, you know, what do you think my company is worth? Give me a ballpark. Give me a ballpark. So I give him a number and he's like, well, no, I've heard my company is worth double that. I'm like, then why the fuck did you call me? (laughs) You asked me for a ballpark. I gave you a ballpark. If you think that's the number, then fuck off. Those are the clients you don't want to work with. Right, right. Well, and I would think actually while he was, if he was getting divorced, he would have wanted you to lowball it. (laughs) There was was actually, I could, I mean, I spoke with the guy for 15, 20 minutes and I can see why she might want to not be with him. (laughs) I assume it's a she. That's true. We don't know. Around here, you don't know. Yeah, exactly. Well, absolutely. Oh my gosh, that's funny though. Because honestly, I would have thought that during a divorce, you'd want to make sure that you were making it as low as possible because then you didn't have to write as big of a check to, you know, your your spouse. (laughs) To each his own. And actually, funny part, it turns out I know his wife after I looked him up. (laughs) 
I love it. I love it. Well, we are going to have all of your contact information on our show notes, but just in case somebody wants to look you up right now, because they're interested not only what you do, but also I know you have a, a, a great following on your YouTube channel. What's the best way for them to find you? Uh, best way to find me, go to our YouTube channel under About Us. There's a link to reach out to me. Um, feel free to reach out. If you have a question, I'm happy to answer and help people. Excellent. Well, before we go, do you have any last words of wisdom or pearls of advice for my listeners and viewers? No, just live long and prosper. Um, <laughs> no, uh, no, just be happy. You know, just believe in the power of um, affirmations and uh, meditations. Mm, I agree completely. Thank you so much for being with us today. It has been a pleasure getting to know you. Nice meeting you, Mike. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Shock Your Potential podcast. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com, including details on Michael's two best-selling books. Tell me more, how to ask the right questions and get the most out of your employees, and sales mixology, why the most potent sales and customer experiences follow a recipe for success. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like us today.